Shall we give a few more, maybe two minutes, for everyone to think about non-financial elements of collective pod? We'll take two minutes to write something down, and then we'll pass around the bowl. Uh, my name is Kitna Chorik, director of Castro, working for the Commons. Um, now we're moving to uh, session four. Uh, this meeting of actually, um, oh no, it's not session five. Uh, we had a total three sessions yesterday, but this is session fifth. So we don't have session one. <laughs> yeah, if you look at the program, you can see there's no session one. Where is the session one? <laughs> no, actually, this, this was a proposal from Ahmed when we were counting the unlearning exercises in the book. Like, what if we're starting from number two? <laughs> there's no number one. <laughs> Really, it makes sense uh, as we are dealing with economy and money and non-monetary resource, uh, or having in mind also various issues that we were discussing yesterday. So, uh, in fact, when we are uh, dealing with um, the colonial issue, gender issues, uh, we don't maybe uh, managed to bring the question of economy or class, although yesterday it was addressed by uh, one of the participants. Um, so we finally can do this. Um, but uh, also ad uh, additionally, I just like to remind one uh, also comment from the group that uh, here we are uh, in super international setting. So keeping in mind international perspectives uh, would be, I think, really um, our own, uh, uh, remain as our own resource. Thank you. So uh, session five uh, is for online article economy, and for that we invited our Center for Plausible Economies, which, <laughs> why, why are you laughing? Because it's, uh, <laughs> it's so easy to establish institutions these days. It's much easier to establish one than to maintain any. <laughs> <laughs> ah, so the, those who are self-mocking are Kuba, <laughs> Kuba Zreba and Katrin Boom. And Kuba, I just actually got reminded of this text oh, that yeah. cruel economy of authorship was one of the subjects we were dealing with uh, online uh, exercises book. And this is the, in the book called The Undoing uh, Properties uh, by Marcia Luandowska, artist and lower protect curator, published by Casco, uh, Stamberg, the showroom, and the Tensta Kunstar in Stockholm. Um, so we have a Kuba, and then Katrin uh, is the one uh, who uh, found uh, and running the company Drinks but also a uh, founding and active member of the My Villages, another sort of artwork kum, uh, institution together with the Wapke based uh, here. Uh, so uh, I'm very happy and thankful that you're joining us to uh, set up and facilitate this session. And uh, we have uh, four case studies for this session. Uh, one is the Association of Art and YouTube. Uh, so over there, Christine Fern and um, 
the kema uh, uh, is there, um, and then uh, Vansa Network, which is part of the Arts Collaboratory Network, uh, will be introduced by the director, uh, its director, uh, Cabello Martis, over there, uh, and then uh, company drinks. And then Casco, also as a part of arts collaborator collaboratory, uh, will be presented as a case studies. So, Kuba and Katrin. Mm -hmm. um, hi, good morning. Thanks so much for having us. It is a huge privilege. Um, hi, I'm Catherine, Center of Applause and Economies. We were laughing because, of course, we were trying to give ourselves quite an authoritative name because we say we actually have authority when it comes to thinking plausible economies, and we want to share this. Uh, plausible, the Center for Plausible Economies is at home at Company Drinks, which I will introduce in a minute, based in East London. It uh, launched in uh, June this year, and it's also the first time we started working together, which comes um, through a longer working relationship through Catherine Gibson and her um, Community Economy Research Network, which is a lot um, to do with like taking back the economy, um, reclaiming the economy as an everyday Thing we all engage with and take part in and uh, redrawing, redrawing the economy, I said this before. So we had a kind of summer-long program of often partnered um, seminars, discourses, trips, but we also invited four arts organizations and artists to start mapping and drawing and visualizing how they work economically. And we think that's a really important point because um, it does demonstrate how you can organize things differently. It, but it also can allow you as an organization maybe to develop uh, the commoning part or the <laughs> self-exploitative part um, behind it. So the visualization um, of, of organizations is actually quite important. So one um, um, result of this invitation is by Rosalie Schweiger. Um, if you're ever going to live in London and try to be an artist, it's a must-read. <laughs> um, if you don't want to go out to London, forget about it. Um, and the other um, invitation was to the Association de Arte Util. And I'm really glad we can continue the, the conversation today. And it's from me. I'm going to be talking in a minute. Okay. Yeah, uh, thank you so much, Kashmir. Uh, so my role here is uh, strictly uh, technical. I'll uh, just try to explain uh, how, we are, uh, uh, how we actually imagined this session. Because uh, the idea was that this session is split, in fact, in three. We have uh, this session now with uh, the case studies. Then we have another session with funders. And then we have this, uh, the, we, are, we will split in groups and discuss particular cases with you in a sense of a kind of cons uh, collective consultancy, how we imagined it. So what we wanted to do is just to provide everybody with a kind of like basic understanding of the operations and economic underpinnings of these various organizations, so to say to bring us on a kind of uh, similar uh, platform. This is not uh, our assumption, but uh, here I think that knowledge of everybody is just enormous. So we do not assume that uh, the people here do not have the knowledge. Everybody possibly could construct such a case study. It was more that we just thought about who can we actually ask to contribute and, uh, and commit to uh, present their own uh, kind of economic underpinnings. But these economic underpinnings are also understood in a very kind of uh, broad sense. So this is not about money, or it's not only about money. When uh, uh, Bina asked me to actually what all this mapping is about, because 
she was the one we were told that uh, we, we could kindly actually agreed to, uh, to work on one of the uh, case studies uh, to be uh, presented uh, here. Um, I actually, uh, maybe I will actually uh, read you this, uh, uh, this brief that we prepared together, because what also needs to be said, that this session was kind of planned by us together with Casco. So it's not like uh, we had, with Center for Plausible Economies, this uh, an, an amazing opportunity to uh, work for a couple of uh, months uh, on the uh, thinking about economic structures of these different organizations, including Association of Art Util, but also, like you see here, already a map uh, created by uh, Katrin, which is a result of a couple of months of thinking, in fact, of like, uh, you know, like juggling with different schedules, thinking about how to map what you are doing, uh, there were like different varieties of this uh, couple of workshops during which these maps were discussed, and at the end, something like this was produced. Another map you see like that was in the, uh, is uh, located in the lobby. It's uh, like these bottles and caps uh, by Association of Art Util, and they will be also uh, um, discussed during this workshop. But then the question was how can we actually uh, involve other uh, groups with this? And when Bina asked me, okay, so what all this mapping is about uh, what is actually, you know, like mapping, mapping, it all sounds funny, but uh, what, is, uh, what is it really about, you know? Well, what shall we think about uh, when we actually do it? Then uh, we just uh, told about, uh, or like I prefer the kind of brief, it's basically about what, how, for whom, with whom, and where do you operate, do you make your economy? So, for example, who are active agents in a network organization? In other words, with whom, for whom do you work, exchange, cooperate, compete? Who works with and for you? Who exploits you? Who is exploited? Like individual artists, designers, community members, partnering organizations, community groups like residents of a district, social movements like movement for ecological justice, affinity groups, but also political parties, municipalities, funding agencies. How do they work? What do they do? How and what do they earn or transact? Money, reputation, social connections, well-being, feeling good. How do they transact? Is it financial transaction? Is it barter? Is it volunteering? Is it exchange of services and gifts? Where do these exchanges take place? Capitalist market, social movements, local communities, art market, local market, state-run funding schemes. What kind of relations do they establish within themselves and the context, both in micro scale of a local district, but also in the micro scale of a kind of north-south division or global economy. Are they mutually beneficial? Are they exploitative? Are they kind of zero-sum game? I think that you know, if you consider this kind of questions, obviously you will track it back to this notion of diverse economies, to kind of um, deconstructing the very notion of economy, not thinking about it in a very narrow sense of just the capitalist market, but consider it in a wider and broader <coughs> sense. And that's what I, uh, I'm really glad that a couple of people agreed to actually contribute by this uh, uh, case studies, but we will first listen to, then we will also think about funding schemes, and at the end, please think about with whom would you like to work during this uh, collective consultancy session because uh, that's what we are going to do after the lunch break and uh, afterwards 
we will also have a plenary. So we will have both enough time to engage with these case studies, bring also like everybody's knowledge, and then get uh, into plenary and uh, report back uh, to other groups and to the community gazette here or to the assembly. So yeah, thank you very much. And uh, so Katrin, you will start, right? Uh, and you've got to time me. Someone's mm, ten yeah. minutes. Oh, ten. God. Um, okay. My notes. The ma I do. I I part map while I'm talking. If that works. So bear with me. Um, so I'm trying to explain company drinks. Um, we're using a big C. Culturing the comments can mean very many different things. It doesn't mean certain things, that's for sure, but it can mean a lot of different things. <laughs> so Company Drinks started as, there's my book, there's a much longer title, and it was an, uh, initially an arts project called Company Movements, Deals and Drinks. And it's now co uh, called Company Drinks. And this is, I've not done this before, so let's see if it works. So at its most visible ends, it's, um, it's not working. At its most visible ends, it's either seen as art or a drinks business. Yeah, many other things in between. Um, what, what's, what's important is that the notion of art we are promoting here is a notion of usership. Yeah? So we're not thinking of this as an art object or an artwork. It's like artistic production in motion and in usership. And if we think about business, we're not trying to run a business. We're simply using business as a means to produce public space. And to think about local, to think about collective production, to think about value production, and to think about economy as agreeing on values. Um, okay, so if I think of public uh, of company drinks, I think of a public space. Yeah, um, we are at home currently. We were nomadic for four years. We are currently at home in. If you can't recognize this, this is a sports pavilion in Barking Park which is zone 6 London, so it's outer London. We have a very big green, we have a kitchen, and we have a club room. We are based in Barking, the London Borough of Barking and Dagenham, which is an interesting geography in terms of it's not, it has until recently been rural, it's been heavily industrialized, it's now kind of suburban, economically deprived, so kind of quite an um, um, uh, exem exemplary uh, kind of... Um, community LGBT, and if you wonder about this, it's not what you think it means, it means Barking and Dagenham, yeah? I'm um, just explaining, but... Uh, Barking and Dagenham, it's a, a district in London. Okay, so and then also just to locate us, we sit within Greater London, the River Thames is quite important in terms of like economy and the economic development of that area. Um, but of course, company drinks is also connected to a European network, an international network. And one term that we use a lot is the idea of like translocal, which has been used quite a lot yesterday. Anyway, that's a lot of that's how we describe our rela relationship to other places. Um, company drinks as a public space is organized around um, the production cycle of drinks making. Yeah. Like a teacher, so, <laughs> so that's basically. I have to simplify things massively, but it's basically growing, picking, processing or making, trading, 
and then reinvesting or reproducing. We are roughly seasonal, so our trading season is in autumn. That doesn't make any sense to any business person. Um, our growing season is roughly in spring, our reinvesting season in winter. Um, those different activities then involve quite a broad range of different people and groups and interests. Um, just to give an example, uh, growing, we now have a growing club on our green. Um, we work with um, a lot of kind of community allotments, I'm not going to write it in now, uh, community allotments, small farms, city farms, growers and so on. So th this part operates within its own network of growers and each relationship is also an economic relationship. Yeah? So whether people for our growing club volunteer, many of them come with like mental health issues, so there's the deal um, that we provide a green safe space, they gain well-being, we get stuff grown. It's not that rational all the time, but what I'm trying to say is that every relationship is a deal and those deals are meant to be mutual. Someone nicked the red tape, which was for exploitative relationships. We don't have any now. Um, I think they're self-exploiting. Anyway, but just so each of those elements within the production chain has its very kind of own people who participate, decide what's the value of taking part in this activity, and so on. Um, the, the kind of the, the main narrative of our own company drinks is the picking one. Which is, if you are from East London, hello, are you? You live, you live there, no? No, no. <laughs> Anyway, if you're white, working, class, East London, which I'm not either, you're not British, you would know of a very particular history, and I just, I'm going to still run out of time. But this history is really important. So between 1850 and 1950, that has to do with like colonial histories. Yeah? Um, between 1850 and 1950, the hop growing in Kent was massively important in terms of a cash crop. Hops came from the Netherlands, originally interesting. And they needed cheap labor, cheap labor, still the same in agriculture. And the east end of London would have this like vast amount of people who would want to earn a bit of money and would go to Kent every year for 100 years. So about uh, up to 80,000 women and children would go on those working holidays for many different reasons. And that's the main narrative company drinks is built around. This going picking together and the ma many different reasons why you do things uh, collectively. Um, and the women who talk about the hot picking, one of the reasons was of course money. Super important. Oh my God. Uh, but it was, they also confirmed it was always about being in good company. It was this mix between an economic benefit, but a kind of temporary, mainly women-run culture, which is one of the few cultures of a working-class community that developed its own rural culture. So that's why it's interesting. Yeah? So we have this picking, and again, if we go picking today, um, in terms of the economy of pickings, we do gleaning, where you pick after the commercial harvest. We do foraging, where you pick for free, but not for commercial purpose. And we get surplus, and we get donations, and some of our growers we pay because they're small growers and they need to be paid, full stop. Yeah. Um, the making, again, has a lot of activities attached to it, from like 
education, training, working with young people around the politics of fizzy drink production and so on. Um, some of our drinks are made by other drinks producers. Some of them are big and wealthy enough so they can make it for us for free. Some of them are small and precarious as we are, so we pay them. Um, so then we produce this drinks range, which you now can't see. Anyway, there it is. You can drink it later. And so we produce this kind of idea of a commodity, which you normally understand when you um, think of business. Um, so we, we produce a commodity, and I'm using, I'll explain this in a minute. Um, when it comes to trading, there's a couple of like 50-50 rules we have. Yeah? Um, so 50-50 in general is equality, doesn't hurt anyone. Something to admire, uh, to aim for. 50% of our drinks stay in Barking and Dagenham, 50% go normally in the wider art world. If we go into the wider art world for trading, we trade at um, art fairs where we sell the drinks, but we also trade in kind of terms of cultural capital. We go into exhibitions, um, we give talks like today, and so on. Um, so the trading, 50% here, 50% in the, in the borough to avoid this kind of um, exploit, exploitation of a local narrative in order to build cultural capital elsewhere. Um, um, Ah, yeah. So, for example, just so an example, at Freeze Art Fair, this cola costs three pounds. Uh, embarking, it costs a pound. Really has to do with the work, uh, the buying power of the public. Um, but also has, to, um, and I think today we're going to donate this to the pot so you can decide how much you want to pay. We make it an honesty <laughs> thing today, yeah? So you can. And the cola wall is really bad, but I'm not going to go into that. Um, what else do I, wanna, did I really want to say? So I think in terms of a comment, if I think of this as a, as a kind of comment, there's like those many different circles where we have linked to every activity a kind of very localized variety of transactions where people volunteer or we pay or students have to pay, so it's compulsory. So there's a kind of inner circle of transactions um, which makes quite a complicated um, economy. In terms of the overall economy of company drinks, of course there are the drinks um, which we sell um, overall with very little profit. But I'm using the kind of, you can't see this. Oh, maybe you have to get up. Oh, maybe have to get up. <laughs> you know the iceberg image that Catherine Gibson is using a lot to explain the visible non-invisible economies? Um, so it's the same idea with company drinks, that if you think of the economy as a... <coughs> As a drinks cabinet, of course, there's a kind of commodified um, drinks range, but then, of course, the, the much more complicated uh, economy involves um, cultural funding. It is partly takings, that we, like money we take ourselves from selling the drinks and selling workshops, and because of the range of activities, the funding also comes from quite a broad range of, of funders. Um, maybe just to quickly say, it's at the moment it's run by, I mean there's a lot of people involved, but it's paid members of staff, we are six, all part-time, between one to three people, uh, what, between one to three uh, weeks a day, everybody earns £12.50. I think that's for us quite an important um, element that it's the same salary um, for everyone, which is slightly above minimal, but still not enough to actually make a, make a comfortable living. Um, and that's it, yes. and thanks for allowing us to communicate the culture of the comic. Yeah, this is also, uh, thank you, uh, where shall we put this?
Thanks for bringing this culture into the, the, our company. Because actually, why are we doing it? I mean, uh, that's what like, I forgot to tell you. This is my technical uh, amnesia, obviously. Uh, so this is uh, the question that we are going to ask ourselves in these uh, workshops, is what are the opportunities and obstacles for commoning this particular institution, or commoning or cultural economy, or making them more equalitarian, just, and so on. So this is a kind of actually our purpose, to think kind of technically about how to instigate common or more uh, equalitarian types of uh, economies in this particular instances. Kemma and uh, Christiane, um, please, uh, Association of Art Util, Kemma uh, Medina, uh, or uh, Association of Useful Art, right, and, uh, and Christiane who is uh, the curator and uh, chief of collections in Banado Museum uh, in uh, Eindhoven, where also association is affiliated with. Thank you very much. And, uh, and there you, see, you will see this beautiful map in uh, the, in the uh, lobby. Yes. Thank you. Uh, I really want to stick to the time. And the first, I want to I want to apologize because we, we wanted to present everything already with the map, but because we're a great uh, group of people, we cannot do, go there. So I just put together some images so you can see where we are just talking. So uh, just to introduce uh, very briefly, uh, the Association of Arteuti is an international uh, membership organization that uh, promotes uh, the implementation and uh, use of Arteuti. Um, it was initiated by Tania Bruguera, the Cuban artist Tania Bruguera, but uh, uh, in line with the criteria that we all have uh, defined and you can find in the website, uh, that we are not going to discuss today. <laughs> and um, so in line with that, we have, uh, uh, the association has been evolved uh, by a group of, of users into an international body that is trying to find uh, ways for art to work effectively in society. Arteuti, as the term, you can just, sorry, you can just uh, pass the images, you know, like, okay. So Arteuti, uh, it could be translated as useful art, but actually as the Spanish uh, term uh, signalates, it uh, goes further uh, to suggesting art as a tool or device for transformation. So Arteutical basically uh, tries on uh, artistic thinking to uh, uh, implementing tactics, to open up our imagination, implementing, implementing tactics of how we could act differently in society to deal with the specific issues. So uh, um, the association, what is that? Okay, operates um, horizontally using a website as a digital platform. Uh, to share uh, the archive of Arteutil and different materials. And um, the archive, well, Annette, sorry, could you stop and go a little bit back? <laughs> to the Banabe, you know, the useful, yes, uh, and one more? Okay, one more. <laughs> yes, that's okay. So the archive uh, was initiated in 2012. Uh, um, when the Van Aven invited uh, the artist Tania Burguera to make a short exhibition and she decides to, instead of that, do really uh, research following her own interest and years of, of research about the term of Arte Util 
to uh, think about uh, to build the Museum of Art Houghton, and it was to really uh, uh, build, not build, but really uh, go and and go deep into research to. Wait, I need to stop. I'm very flushed. So, to really go deep in a research that could explain and track the history of this kind of practice. Since the 19th century, very connected, they initiated with the consequences of the Industrial Revolution until today, until the present. So to do so, she uh, started uh, an archive, to build an archive of, of case studies that was doing, doing in a, was done in a collective process. Well, we invited, uh, we, oh, we launched an open open call, international open call, and we invited, you know, like a group of uh, an advisory board of 25 uh, international curators and artists to propose projects from their geographies and from their context. Mina was part of that uh, advisory board. <laughs> and uh, then uh, it was done in collaboration with other institutions that were already thinking, not just the Vanabe, but other institutions that were already in the process of questioning the role of art institutions, <coughs> the role of art in contemporary society, and the very construction of the art history from the Western uh, position. So uh, just keep going now. <laughs> So then, uh, together, we uh, built an archive that has, uh, is st still is growing, and it's online, uh, free access, and has right now 286 case studies. And uh, basically, the association, the platform, it's the website, and we operate in a horizontal uh, way. Uh, we try to, uh, they are, of course, uh, well, uh, permanent paid, uh, members that are the directors of the organizations that are involved. You will see later in the map the concrete, you know, like organizations that are right now working on uh, with the, the, the association and as well the conditions that we are. But we have um, done may, mostly a lot of projects funded by different institutions or collaborations with different uh, organizations. <sighs> <laughs> I have someone to say that it's okay. So, and uh, just to finish, because I want to put the floor uh, to Christian. The idea today, what we really wanted to do is uh, the association is really trying to reimagine uh, and uh, push implementing uh, alternative uh, ways to deal with economy, with art, with art history. And the idea is uh, today to discuss about the concrete case study or member of the association that is Evanabe. And uh, because go to the last one, please. <laughs> yeah. No. no. <laughs> so as you see, um, oops. Okay. So because right now, uh, after I've done so. All these activities were in the discussion with the, uh, some of the organizations involved in to think differently about collecting and about ownership. That is a term that you have already uh, as well in the lexicon that was, I don't know if you saw that, but with the some of our activity, we as well produce a, a lexicon to think differently and talk differently about these practices and uh, based on the research of the civil rights and the concept of usership. So, 
right now we are one of the, the lines that the association is trying to follow, thinking about economic, uh, alternative economies or ways to deal with the activities is what about thinking differently about membership and ownership for the art institutions. So we are starting this uh, agreement instead of a, a, a contract of purchasing. Mm -hmm. We want to push a certificate of usership that could be an uh, agreement of commitment of usership, free usership. And now the Barnabe uh, is going to present the questions that we want to discuss later. Okay, yeah. thank, thank you, Gemma. Yes. Um, well, um, I'm curator and head of collections at, at the Barnabe Museum, and I'm always involved in this uh, notion, this idea of collecting artwork, which mainly means owning artwork. And I'm very interested in rethinking this whole notion of ownership. Um, well, when the Art Util project was in the Vanabe Museum, we addressed this question, uh, could it be possible to acquire this archive and what would that mean? And this raised the whole discussion around ownership and uh, usership. Uh, for me, it's quite interesting to think um, of Art Util as a kind of catalyst to bring in the museum, maybe a Trojan horse, and uh, used uh, this totally different notion of, of usership and users and membership to change uh, our ideas of what does it mean to, are, to be responsible of an artwork or to own an artwork. And uh, basically we address this in two different ways, and one is a more theoretical way, um, and for that we use this booklet, some of you might know it, it's written by Stephen Wright, uh, towards a lexicon of usership. And it's really a beautiful book that analyzes uh, a lot of uh, notions uh, that are related to ownership and usership. And with them, on a theoretical level, we try to think about a different uh, economy within the museum, and around, especially around the collection. Uh, and on the other side, there is the practical level, how to deal with the different stakeholders, how to involve the different stakeholders in this process of change. Uh, because I think we really need to uh, use this moment of the Arte Util and bringing the Arte Util into the museum as a, a moment, because I think it, it, it carries a lot of potentiality as a moment to really, really think about uh, reshaping the, the, the economy of the of the other institution. Okay. And uh, the lexicon is in the website, it's in the PDF, so you can everybody post it already, we don't have any more details. Okay. Okay. Yes. Okay. So, thank you very much. <laughs> Mina or Cabana? Mina, shall you proceed now? Or Cabana? Yeah, so there's. Um, yeah, also, I think the whole, the whole discussion is uh, here about collecting not an object, but rather taking a. Uh, taking kind of uh, custodianship over the certain archive and also over implementing it. So kind of like the question of culture and which public domain with the, uh, with the collection mechanism. And I guess that, um, yeah, it is a major uh, 
transformation of how uh, the art institutions operate uh, currently. And now we are waiting for uh, Cabello, I think. It's coming. It's coming. <laughs> yeah, so, um, uh, Cabello uh, Malazzi will talk about Visual Arts Network of uh, South Africa. Uh, Banza and also as collaboratory and thank you very much. Uh, we also, uh, as I told you before, we also uh, with Association of Art Routine and with Company Drinks. It's a much longer process. So thank you uh, so much for actually, yeah, agreeing to share with us uh, more impromptu. Um. Yeah. So the mapping for for me it was a bit unfair. <laughs> months to prepare. <laughs> um, so I'm the director of Visual Arts Network of South Africa, uh, which is started out um, as a kind of big organization. So it was throughout the country. We had smaller ones in every province. So that South Africa has nine provinces. Um, and so they were kind of already thinking about these decentralized nodes, um, networks rather. Um, but I guess because of um, PACE, which have kind of put different temporalities, uh, capabilities, um, other provinces kind of folded and didn't kind of work so well. Um, and later on, um, I think in around 2014, there was no longer the kind of regional networks and it was just one, I guess now, headquarters <laughs> space, which is where now I work. Um, so we've, we've been trying to kind of like keep this notion of decentralization, um, also building capabilities um, and encouraging capabilities in different places. So. Um, the notion of the rural, the peri-urban, the urban. So in South Africa, Johannesburg and Cape Town are kind of like the, the big cities that have um, access to um, structures and um, like not necessarily universities so much, but galleries um, and places of kind of work, even institutions, like small institutions as well. Um, so we are trying and also failing to kind of instigate or be kind of kept uh, um, catalysts in, in creating networks in peri-urban and, and rural areas. Uh, and I think the failure is probably that uh, we are doing it in a hierarchical way, where we are thinking that we can like give them a little bit of a boost and they, they just continue, which I don't know, um, it doesn't work. Um, so, so we are thinking about, so the decentralization is kind of key um, in, in our thinking around how we actually really become a network um, that is connected throughout. So um, we are part of Arts Collaboratory, so this is kind of the international network. Um, and then PANIC is the, the network, <laughs> which is the Pan-African uh, network. And that is, um, yeah, so, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so with, with PANIC, um, we are connected to the rest of the continent, um, Africa, and we have a project called Bora Bora. Bora, Bora Lounge is a video um, art festival um, that we kind of, as um, uh, in collaboration with Waza in Mubashi uh, and Van Lagos, 
we um, op have an open call for artists to submit um, video works, and then we select, and then those um, uh, videos are then distributed to our uh, various networks across the continent and shown within three days um, with other programming, either talks um, and performances and however each institution decides to work. Um, we've kind of come from a, um, a historical um, idea around collective work, uh, which um, would be linked to Medu Arts Ensemble, uh, which was um, an organization that was started during apartheid um, uh, with different kind of artists, uh, jazz musicians, um, theater, visual arts, and that was um, an, an activist work. It was also about um, dealing with exploitation um, of labor and also dealing with, um, I mean, the apartheid itself and uh, also kind of trying to break down um, hierarchies within the organization. So it was very like horizontal as an organization. Um, and though I think in, uh, um, in South Africa, the collective uh, kind of way of working is maybe simple um, to start. They, there's of course the, the trap of kind of getting into a moment of stagnation where you start falling into like particular modes of working, which is looking for funding, doing projects that are grand and big and you know finding space and so that becomes a kind of counterproductive um, uh, mode that most uh, collectives kind of I think start failing. Um, with Vanza, what we try to do uh, in our projects is um, respond to some sort of gap. Um, so in the gap of, of course, like skills, so we try in our projects to get um, uh, either as practitioners working in all our projects so that way we are just kind of redistributing the, the funds that we have access to. to um, in that way, so in, so the, the, we are trying not to exploit also as an organization because we realize that it's kind of... Um, easy, uh, especially because Banza is a bigger organization, bigger and that it's, it's been running for long, um, to get people to actually do things for free. Um, so we try not to. Um, I don't think we do anymore. So <laughs> we are paying everybody for, for what they do. Um, and so our projects are really now about, like, if you're researching designers, trying to kind of also work with designers that are not yet in the system. So which is tough because, you know, the work is always, requires a lot of encouraging and time uh, when you're working with uh, young uh, practitioners. So, yeah, I think that's all I have time for. And yeah, oh yes, the members. We have, I think, 6,700 members. And yeah, <laughs> a lot. <laughs> yeah, but I. It's our largest organization. You win. I mean, I I still don't know who those members are. I mean, I have a sense. <laughs> so we are working for the members, but I don't have a clear picture of 
um, exactly who these members are. So that's why it's like in red and a question mark because you work for um, these members uh, and the members are organizations, collectives, uh, practitioners um, in, in visual arts. And we try and lobby government for things. And that is a very long process, 10 years minimum. Um, so, yeah. Thank you very much. Like, really big slack. I mean, like, uh, Really, really, uh, thank you. It was uh, indeed. I mean, but I think that it was an excellent idea of of Bina to also uh, involve uh, Banze here. And uh, as you can see, that if the map is large, doesn't mean that organization is large. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Six persons, six thousand. You know, so. <laughs> yeah. Bina, uh, uh, Casco. Well, I will try to keep short. Uh, by emphasizing, actually, this is just like teaser, and then we would have more in-depth session uh, for about two hours in the afternoon. So, like, uh, uh, maybe uh, in comparison to this uh, seven thousand members, I will start with a tiny one, which is the uh, Nina Bell F. Nina Bell Federici. So this is a kind of pseudo name that Casco team uh, came up uh, with in 2016 when we were discussing about what are we. We are the team of wage worker where there is a potential to be a collective. And most of people who were in, uh, in the table, in the room or on the table actually gone, including in <laughs> in whom I mentioned yesterday, who actually brave enough in breaking institutional habit by leaving Casco. <laughs> um, so in that term, I also like to actually uh, leave this poster away. I will tell you why. <laughs> Just one more. Like so, inside there's a Nina, but it's kind of uh, radiating uh, up to like a public. Well, this is the kind of diagram that we drew like um, four years ago to show our constituency from <coughs> artists, designer, professional students, uh, communities, what kind of communities, what kinds of network, what kind of educational institution, etc. I'm leaving this as well. <laughs> and here, this um, um, this is actually the uh, map of actually diverse economy, <laughs> but very simple. But draw uh, drawn based on uh, this iceberg image, which was addressed before, to show the visible top of iceberg and then invisible uh, all kinds of invisible relations of uh, transaction that uh, enable this what uh, is visible uh, to. Uh, sustain itself to be visible and eventually to sustain the whole operation of organization. So this is mainly the, fun, uh, the uh, funders or funding institutions that uh, <coughs> financial resource to Casco and then belows or like invisible and non-monetary uh, contribution to let Casco operate. Um, Two or three 
big funders for us, Khmeinte Utre, City Council Utre, Mondrian Fund, and Doom Foundations are drawn big. <laughs> but it's a major financial resource uh, coming from these three uh, funding institutions. But I'm also saying goodbye to this. <laughs> <laughs> Can you uh, turn on? Ah, yeah. So I wanted to be last one because I'm a little bit part party pooper. Because we have been drawing a lot of uh, diagrams, but this is where we are. <laughs> we are most, we are most um, comfortable. <laughs> and this is a working document that really enables us to work together. And main feature in this document is um, it has three sections. So here is the primary program. Here, uh, extra mural program, and here the uh, all the uh, invisible organizational uh, works, including like fundraising and communication, uh, team matters, but also kind of um, managing this room. Um, what is uh, important here is. Uh, yeah, to let me go back to the unlearning exercises. So while addressing the temporality that uh, that uh, we as an organization carry on, um, art organization uh, was a business or a sense of business. So it also comes to a psychological effect. And then we were analyzing it's all based on certain pressure to be productive, to be competitive, and to be to, to excel. And what it generates is, again, this uh, very fixed division of labor, manual and intellectual labor, as we addressed yesterday, was a division between programming, uh, programming uh, management, and maintenance. So there is a lovely housewife in your organization, or in our organizations. Um, and someone uh, actually uh, uh, continuing certain form of slavery, and others as a, a trader. Uh, <laughs> um, yes, um, so in relation to that, then what are the desire? Okay, so you don't want to be busy, uh, but what are, you, what are you actually losing because you are busy? And, and what you are desire, desiring for. So what are you losing is that this uh, valuing the reproductive labor, labor of care, and, and, and to, uh, uh, to grow in a manner of um, uh, nourishing and in, in, enriching yourself as, uh, as a member of the larger collective society. And in that, what appears, one of the common desire was deeper understanding. So we took on exhibition, we organized an event, but there is always a lack of deeper understanding over uh, in relation to the object that we are showing and in relation to people whom we are meeting. So uh, we uh, later on uh, start saying that as a study. So uh, by uh, making transition to Casco Art Institute working for the commons, uh, studying the commons 
and keeping the study lines, organizing our program, our whole operation around study lines became a key. And <laughs> back to these three columns. Um, uh, it's a, yeah, how can it is a, a strategic uh, template to uh, hopefully enable us to organize our study lines. So um, the fact what, that, that all the team members actually follow, uh, continue to engage with their work around the study lines could mean um, losing your financial resource. So not only losing the condition for your working, but it's also like livelihood, which uh, we got to actually signal that could happen. <laughs> uh, so as you can see here in the funding line that in the beginning, like uh, first half of this year was actually spent in dealing with the loss of the 40% uh, of our budget. Which was provided by Mondrian Fund. Um, so um, here, um, so we uh, were clearly making distinction. What is the program that we are presenting to larger public, abstract public, or any kinds of funders or possible funders here? But then here is an extra mural program can take place in any manner <laughs> uh, without so much control, uh, without so much uh, pressure, uh, like top-down pressure. Uh, so it's kind of a decentralized model, sporadic model or organic model and deterritorializing. Mm -hmm. However, this is not just to have this like a room for a picnic, but mm -hmm. our belief is that this <laughs> This actually could enrich uh, here as well. So it's all in a, like a, a cycle or in mutual interaction. And uh, this part also are closely related to this. Uh, and I can elaborate in our collective session. <laughs> yeah, thank you very much. So I think this is the end. Thanks, Brina, for bringing up this, our love-hate relationship with Microsoft Excel. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> don't we know it, right? And uh, yeah, after yesterday, also my, my kind of uh, question was, uh, is it more important to learn how to write the applications or rather to unlearn how to apply it all? And, uh, yeah, that might be personal. Anyway, thanks, uh, 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 thanks so much, and... Uh